Oh, Mr. Kuyepi and comrades, Mie Malakota. Mie Sichangu Lakota. We are the bands of Turtle Island. We'd like to issue a trigger warning to our fellow indigenous folk. In this episode, we will be discussing genocide, decolonization, and many possible traumatic topics. For um, settlers listening, if anything in these notes makes you feel uncomfortable, then we want to ask you to please sit down, take a deep breath, and critically think about the privilege you hold in this space. I'm one of your co-hosts, <laughs> Comrade Shaman Tutanka, uh, or Wolf, for those who can't speak Lakota. And I'm the other co-host, P.A.G.G. or Wayne. We are a podcast by Indigenous people, for Indigenous people. Uh, we're both leftists, but we aim to use this podcast as a platform for all oppressed people, in our, uh, especially here in America. Uh, mm -hmm. and cover a wide variety of content for decolonization, uh, politics, uh, anything in the media, uh, movies, you know, and just about anything to do with indigenous people. We want to cover a lot of history. We want to analyze popular movies like uh, Dances with Wolves. Um, we are uh, an affiliate of Proles of the Round Table and the Union of Sovereign Socialist Podcasts. Uh, I will be bringing a Marxist-Leninist uh, materialist perspective. However, Wayne or uh, PAGG, <laughs> for the sake of brevity, we're going to go with Wayne and Wolf just because it's a lot to do. Yes. I have to sw switch from English to Lakota pronunciations, and it gets messy if you don't actually think about it. We're gonna end up with a version of Spanglish, but it's only like Langlish. Langlish. We want to make sure people understand that this is a decolonization space. So MLs are welcome. Anybody who believes in decolonization, national liberation, are welcome. You know, otherwise sit back, learn. You know, but we want people to know that it's for colonized peoples. This is a platform yes. for anybody, Palestinian. Uh, Brazilian, uh, I guess, uh, South African. I don't know any South African people. Mm. So, I mean, hey, if you want to come on here, just anybody who can yeah. speak English, too, because unfortunately, I'm learning my own language. And I understand a bit of written Spanish. Same. like Just enough to get by. <laughs> so that's a little bit of an option, I guess. <laughs> we'll have a translator, I guess. We'll use Google Translate. <laughs> we're not going to get into our politics much, but today we're going to cover briefly, sort of, the history uh, leading up to the American Indian Movement. So that way we can kind of set it up for a multi-part series and make sure that, you know, you get full context to why certain things are happening. Yeah. Native history determines that we need multi-part episodes. Exactly. <laughs> There's so much. It's not a straight line. It's, hey, we're going to jump over here. We're going to come back over here and then yada, 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 yada. A little bit of time travel. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> we're like Doctor Who. <laughs> we're, we're Chief Who. <laughs> Bad joke. It's like a boomer joke. Uh, <laughs> That sounds like a dad joke, honestly. <laughs> so though. I have such dad joke humor. <laughs> anyway, so the first thing we need to ask ourselves is what is the American Indian movement? I, I know a lot of settlers don't know. As By settlers, I mean mostly white people. But anybody really that perpetuates white supremacy, whether by accident or whatever. Like, it's a very complex yeah. idea. 
And we're definitely going to break it down at some point because I feel like it's necessary. But for the most part, our initial uh, viewers, I hope, are going to be familiar with these concepts already. Mm -hmm. um, especially because I mainly want indigenous people listening first. <laughs> no offense. Fingers crossed. No offense. But I, I love mean, it. <laughs> this, this is a podcast by indigenous people for indigenous we people. We said it so. in the first paragraph. <laughs> It's a platform intended primarily for people like us. <laughs> so uh, it's yeah. like one of the foundational, like, radical movements for what I would say is any... If you're going to start viewing, like, a revolution here in America, you need to look at people like the Black Panthers. You mm -hmm. need to look at uh, uh, slaves who were revolted. Uh, those are a lot... Or were freed or escaped. Those are people yeah. I like to draw a lot from. Abolitionists are cool and all, but... They're white people. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> focusing on theorists of color helps bring you uh, authentic interpretation. And then as well as reading the literature helps you get a perspective into these people's world. Even a lot of times it's like stuff tra translated, uh, well, written down by a white person. So you never know what mm -hmm. was edited. But for the most part, you can extrapolate a lot of the words and similarities to stories you, you might have been told as a kid. Uh, or something like that because like that with blackout speaks like uh especially in the newer editions they print out mm -hmm. like you know hey he was a poet the white guy was a poet of course he if he edited the language a bit things will never be the same again and that is what the american indian movement is about they are respected by many hated by some but they are never ignored they are the catalyst for indian sovereignty they intend to raise questions in the minds of all, questions that have gone to sleep in the minds of Indians, non-Indian alike. From the outside, AIM people are tough people. They had to be. AIM was born out of the dark violence of police brutality, voiceless despair of Indian people in the courts of many. AIM was born because few knew that it was enough enough to endure for themselves and all others like them who are people without power or rights. AIM people have known the insides of jails, the long wait, the no appeal of the courts for Indians, because many of them were there. From the inside, AIM people are cleansing themselves. Many have returned to the old traditional religions of their tribes, away from the confused notions of a society that has made them slaves of their own unguided lives. AIM is first a spiritual movement, a religious rebirth and the rebirth of dignity and pride in a people. AIM succeeds because they have a least to act upon. The American Indian movement is attempting to connect the realities of the past with the promise of tomorrow. They are people in a hurry because they know that the dignity of a person can be snuffed by despair and a belt in a cell of a city jail. They know that deepest hopes of the old people could die with them. They know the Indian way is not tolerated in white America because it is not acknowledged as a decent way to be. Sovereignty, land, and culture cannot endure if a people is not left in peace. The American Indian movement is then the warrior's class of the century, or bound to the bond of the drum, who vote with their bodies instead of their mouths. Their business is hope. Words and Thoughts by Berger Kilstrait of the Oglala Lakota Nation and the author uh, who organized his words in this exact manner was Richard LaCrosse.
director of the American Indian Press Association in 1973. <clears throat> um, so I, I, I want to kind of dissect a little bit that went on. Yeah. You know, I think uh, it's important uh, to acknowledge the way they chose to uh, say certain things. Um, mm-hmm. When you go to the official website, it, uh, for their brief history, uh, they say in the 30 years of its formal history, the American Indian movement has given witness to a great many changes. We say formal history because the movement existed for 500 years without a name. The leaders and members of today's aim never fail to remember all of those who have traveled on before, have given their talent and their lives for the survival of the people. Acknowledging the spiritual succession of AIM and other indigenous movements is important too, especially to the Lakota culture. Uh, Many of us feel a call to political movement through either the ancestors or through our own experiences. During many, like, just over the course of our lives. I know that... It's a lot of my experiences sort of influence how I am politically. Well, exactly. Like, uh, it's not about, like, so when looking at, like, the Lakota culture, you know, a lot of people, you know, see all religion as the same. And it's a Mm -hmm. very settler idea to think of religion like that. They they hear us talk about the great spirit and stuff, and they assume it's a deity. Yeah, they they go, oh, it's, it's our God. Of course, of course, it's our God. They just call it the wrong name, and the, then they call the angels gods too, and that's wrong. That's yeah. And it's like no, 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 that's no. Not no. How it works. That's not what we're saying. We're saying there is a spirit that moves throughout all of us, mm-hmm. and you know you can interpret that in many ways. I interpret it personally on like a scientific level as it's the energy that flows throughout all yeah. the universe that has been at the beginning of the universe and is here now. It's the same energy. It can't be created, yeah. can't be destroyed. It flows through everything. It's the same energy that was the stars at the beginning of the Big Bang. It's the same energy that's going to be when the Earth dies. You know, it's the yeah. same energy. And so that's, you know, a lot of people don't look at the culture in that kind of way. You know, a lot of people just go, oh, it's all fairy tales like Zeus and stuff. And even then, it's like Zeus was a way to explain the storms. Mm-hmm. We have, uh, the thunder, the thunder beings, uh, for easy translation. The, the Joaquin. Um, you know, there's a spiritual succession when we're talking about these political movements. It's not just a. It's not just them claiming succession. Mm-hmm. It's literally if they want to revive our culture, our traditions, our religion, you know, whatever you want to call it, our spirituality, our way of mm-hmm. being, they have to. Prescribed, prescribe, subscribe, uh, um, ascribe, <laughs> ascribe, ascribe. That's the word. Ascribe to uh, <laughs> to these practices, which is you are supposed to carry on the way your ancestors did mm-hmm. for our people to survive. That is the job of our leaders. That is our job of our chiefs, our you mm-hmm. know, our advisors. You know the warrior class, as they claim to be. You know so. There's the spiritual, there's the spirit journey or the vision. It's in the Lakota culture, it's a lot of dehydrating yourself, sweat. It's very intense. It's not 
the fun ayahuasca trips. It's and even then, is that fun? You know, you could die. <laughs> yeah, but, and like I think our our hamblecha, or I, I don't know how if that's the correct pronunciation. Hamblecha. <laughs> um, I grew up with very very little Lakota, so I'm still learning. But like I think. During those, we fast too. Yeah, we 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 starve ourselves. We don't drink mm-hmm. anything. We like it's a huge ceremony, and, and you you do mm-hmm. Sundance before it, and then you go and do your fast, which I'm doing next year at next Sundance. Which I'm, and you also have to uh, cut down a, a wed willow tree and chop mm-hmm. it up for the bark, and so th- then you could get um blanking on the word right now. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, basically, you also got to get a buffalo chip in there, which is mm-hmm. buffalo poop, and you smoke it, <laughs> and it's it's the traditional offering of the white buffalo. Yeah. And it's I have to chop down it's, a tree, and it's just it's it's intense. A lot of intense physical effort. Yeah, and so and this it makes journey, sense. yeah, when you when you do it, and after everything you've lived, you know. And you do this, and you reconnect. Of course, there's going to be a profound effect on you. Mm-hmm. Any human being, if you did this, yeah. So the fact that we've we've centered our religion around real practices, real things that actually work and make sense, mm-hmm. you know, it gives a little more scientific credence to it. Not to say that, oh, hey, you should believe in our culture because, well, our religion, yeah. Or our, prophecies or whatever because we have a bit of science in there but there's it's a temp rather than being temporal like jesus dying it's based yeah. on who you are and where you live your connection to the land in which you're mm-hmm. supposed to protect and so like it, it's the connection to our mother and just a settler can't understand it they can't yeah. understand the visions that you get they like it's visions. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't lie to you. <laughs> yeah. No. It. But it's. It's a vision. <laughs> yeah. Like it comes through dreams. It comes through birds. Anything. It comes through the clouds. It comes through the wind at the right time. You just know these yeah. things. Everybody knows these things. We all. I. I mean. I don't. You know. Don't know about y'all, but yeah, there's some things that seem oddly coincidental. And so, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm superstitious, I guess you can say, but I say it's more of an acknowledging my culture, acknowledging what we believe and understanding that the ancestors do move throughout the universe still. And that's mm-hmm. not just human ancestors. That is the four legs. That is the brothers. Yes. That is the ancestors with wings. That is the ancestors it's, with roots. We are all one. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, why there is a phrase in Lakota that means all my relations. We're all related. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. And that's the foundation. The medicine wheel is literally this story. <laughs> and as well as it talks about the uh, wind and the four directions, the four mm-hmm. cardinal directions. And if you look at a lot of indigenous cultures, it's based around the four cardinal directions. They teach a similar story. And it's just about yeah. living in harmony with one another in nature. It, like uh, I get in arguments a lot with white vegans. Oh yeah, they <laughs> they're a lot. Like I got called a mur. I had our entire people called murderers. 
Oh, jeez. And it's like, mm, buddy, it's, you don't think that sounds a little we, racist? We no? <laughs> are more sustainable in how we hunt and stuff than well, settlers. As well as when we hunt, we use it all. We give yes. offering. This is what you do. You know, yeah. you, you do everything in a way that respects the animal that gave itself to you. Yes. Like, like I, in nature, when a gazelle gets hunted down by a lion, when a deer gets hunted down by wolves, it gives mm-hmm. in. It naturally yeah. gives in because, okay, this is what's happening. I'm dying. And I'd like to think that, yeah, if I'm getting eaten by a cougar, I'm going to do the sensible thing and just give in. You know? Just kind of, like, it does get to that point, though. If well, exactly. If that's you what's are supposed being to happen, hunted yeah. by something that is supposed to hunt you, like it's a natural cycle. Exactly, because, you're supposed to let your like the circle of life from Lion King. You know, yeah. There's some <laughs> Just, credibility to it, <laughs> and you can see that, like in how. how um, deer and coyote populations increase and decrease over time, and it works in a cycle. Unless somebody, <clears throat> white people with guns, go in <laughs> and kill a and bunch screw of it up. Yeah, they're like, oh, we need, we need to do this. And it's like, no, 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 mm-hmm. no, no, no. The wolves are going to go somewhere else because the deer are yes. going to get harder to find. The deer yes. are going to repopulate the area. We should just it, chill out. It makes me so angry when people will just go and shoot a coyote at well, random. Well, yeah, and they'll get their like, pellet guns and stuff. Why? And it's just like, what was that doing to you? Oh, it was messing with my garbage. Well, you shouldn't have garbage cans sitting outside. You shouldn't have yes. that much garbage in the first place. Why do you have that much waste? If you have that much waste, why are you not giving offering? <laughs> you know, there's a bunch of... Yeah. I, I'm not going to say I'm perfect about it, but, you know, it's something I'm working on. It's part of my yeah, decolonization same. process. You know, it's something I... In order to feel part of my culture once again, this is something I should be doing. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that that's, like, what we're trying to get down to is that these movements, these radical indigenous movements that are always centered around, you know, our rights, our, mm-hmm. our sovereignty, you know, especially AIM, they're spiritually connected and they're trying, they all acknowledge the t- deterioration, deterioration, geez, of our culture, <laughs> of cultures through systemic design, you know, settler, uh, colonialism is designed to do this. Mm-hmm. And whether these movements acknowledge that that's what they're doing through their rhetoric or whether just their revolutionary spirit and actions as American Indians or indigenous Americans, whatever you want to call them, uh, I call myself an American Indian. You know, it's really, it's a bottle of worms you don't want to open up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, pretty much just listen to the person talking and use whatever they choose for yeah, them. Yeah, be specific about it's like pronouns, basically. You know, just yeah. Ask them. <laughs> so there's an elder who's has a good quote for this that's also listed, and we'll put a uh, uh, the painting that this commemorates mm-hmm. um, on our website. Which what what is the um. 
I don't know it off the top of my head. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> or I'll post it on our Twitter. We'll do both. Actually, we're, yeah, we're, we'll do both. Anyway, anyway. So, pledge <laughs> to fight white man's injustice to Indians. His oppression, persecution, discrimination, and malfeasance, and the handling of Indian affairs. No area in North America is too remote when trouble impends for Indians. AIM shall be there to help the Native people regain human rights and achieve restitution and restorations. The painting and words were by a respected Mohawk elder, Lewis Hall, December 1973. It was a busy year for AIM. We're not covering yeah, we're not covering 73 this episode. It's too busy. You're gonna see yes. this episode's already gonna run long. My dad almost was born during wounded knee, so too. My mom was like three, maybe. She was young. She was super the, young. The only reason they weren't able to go there was because of a res car not working. <laughs> Oh man! See, and oh, like, <laughs> I'm trying to get one of my family to come on. My mom's not gonna do it. Mm. Touchy subject there. But Fair. The uh, I think we're we need to acknowledge that the spirit of AIM and their first actions in regard to fighting for the rights of indigenous people uh, in, in urban areas they call the urban Indian uh, could be expanded to many broader topics. You know, like. The ideas mm-hmm. there and the experiences, um, just you got the entire civil rights era. I'd like to call it the civil rights spring, a play on the era yeah. spring. That's just because I've experienced that. Uh, <laughs> you know, like everyone who was in an oppressed group was just like they wanted. The they wanted freedom. to quote the notes. They were screaming for relief. They literally were. They screaming for relief is the how yes. I described it in the notes. And it's like Vietnam was in the full swing. Like Lyndon mm-hmm. B. Johnson tried to use the Civil Rights Act to get like points. You know, yeah, uh, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like I think in that in that time, like a lot of white people looked at it like, look at all these uh, idiots. All mm-hmm. fighting against one another, you know, this my guy <laughs> all fighting against one another, you know, uh all uh all trying to become the next master race, you know, and it's just like <laughs> no, that's not what we're doing. We just want no. equal rights. We want it's kinda like those people who like we want what we deserve, you know. Yeah. <laughs> who think even right now who think that oh Oppressed people want to be better than white people, which, honestly, on a level we are, <laughs> but also, <laughs> but also, like that's not it. That's not what's happening. It's dialectus. We are, but we aren't. Yes. You know, it's like nobody's actually better than anybody. But when you think yes. about historically, you know, it's just like we, the Lakota at least, did not go around conquering a bunch of people and murdering them. Despite what some people would say about pre-colonial tribes being constantly yeah, warring. War, it was different. We like, were not. Actually, even the Aztecs or uh, the Mexicans, they, uh, they have a... Their warfare was specifically done in like a game of sport, essentially. And mm-hmm. there was an agreed amount of people of who won that would be uh, sacrificed. Yeah. Maybe. 
they would be taken as slaves for sacrifice, which was actually kind of an honor in their society. Whereas yeah. the, the Lakota version of it was whoever lost, you know, we try not to murder each other. People could die. It's war. Yeah. But we were a little, we were civilized like the white man who would uh, line up for one another. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same idea. Not both people weren't that bright, but they were bright. You know, they were about similar yeah. intelligence. And then also, like, we had vast trading routes throughout all what are considered Americas. All of Turtle all Island, the way all down the way down. South America. All the way across the Pamina Isthmus before there was a canal. Yeah. We, we didn't have to build a canal. We The Mexicans, they built cities on water. It's mm-hmm. incredible. And they had the populations the size of London. At this, like, same time, same time. And their cities didn't all burn down in a well, big fire. They didn't burn fire. down until Cortez came along. Yes. <laughs> and purposely but destroyed. up until them. that point. <laughs> like, like, it's... it's up it, until the violence of colonialism, it pe- hadn't happened. People just don't know the history, and so, like, uh, we have to, in order to cover AIM properly... We have to go mm-hmm. into some Lakota history uh, because yeah. a lot of this stuff starts because of treaties being broken and systemic racism that still affects American Indians today, but was even mm-hmm. worse before the AIM protests, and nobody even knows about it. So, like, yeah. the first thing uh, that happened was the Fort, Le- well, the big catalyst for all this to come about, just if we're going to start at a point, is the mm-hmm. Fort Laramie Treaty of 1868. And it's the it's the first example that comes to mind because uh, when you think about that period, the the last main acquisition of the uh, United States government would be the Sioux territory, which was yeah. gigantic at the time because what they did was they skipped the middle, went west, and then came back around yeah. and settled the middle. And once that happened, like there was settling going on around the you know Oklahoma area and stuff like that. Yeah. But even then, they had pushed the Cherokee there, and they were trying to be nice about it for a while. You know, they were like, "We have yeah. enough space for now. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna try to control ourselves. We'll be good. Okay, <laughs> we promise. We pinky promise." What good that did? Well, you know, we ended up having to make the Fort Laramie Treaty because yeah. they were conquering the... <laughs> it was another pinky promise time. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's what the Fort Laramie Treaty... It happens after the uh, Sioux Wars, the Indian Wars. There's a lot of names for mm-hmm. it. Um, the treaty is also known as the Sioux Treaty of 1868. Uh, and it was signed between the U.S. and several uh, Lakota nations. Like- Chongu Oyate or Burnt Thighs Nation, uh, which are also called the Brule by the French, meaning burnt. Uh, Then there's the Mitokouzu, Hokouzu, which means plants by the water, or uh, they also go by Minikonju. And then there's the Oglala Lakotas, meaning uh, scattered ones. Uh, And then... uh, those were Those like are, the, the Sioux nations, like three of the seven great uh, bands. Like there's uh, of the Ocheti Shakoni. Uh, yeah, Ocheti said, uh, and I don't want to put the other <laughs> names. I'm not gonna really bad at it's it. It's a learning curve. It's a learning curve. If I <laughs> if I can see it, I could read it. I have a lot of it memorized. Don't have enough of it memorized. <laughs> 
my grandma's mad at me still. <laughs> my she is not okay with it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the other nations involved in the treaty were the Yangtone Dakota and the Arapaho nations. Uh, and these nations came together to try to bring peace to the plains and secure survival for their nations. And so, you know, this brings up a lot of questions we plan to go on in d- detail. Yeah. Because, you know, when are you betraying the people? You know, when, mm-hmm. like, the Cherokee enslaving black people, that's a big oof. Big yeah. Oof. Big yikes. Um, but when you look a little at, bit of an understatement, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you look at, so you can look at the fall of the Mexicans, even though the Spanish helped coordinate it, it was, mm-hmm. you can look at it in a way cause the Spanish didn't have an army. It wasn't because they had such superior tools that they conquered <laughs> an entire civilization as great or even better than the British mm-hmm. empire, you know? And I would say better. But yeah. <laughs> uh, Their they, water water aqueducts kind of attest to that. Yeah. I just said, I will go into it. <laughs> but uh, basically there was <laughs> smaller tributaries that were, or people that were able to resist being tributaries. So they're smaller than the Mexicans or Aztecs, but they're larger than... Um, not going to just try to say a name. Not going to do that. But anyway, another smaller group around there that would just be later called Aztecs. You know, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter to white people. But I, when we go over the history, we will differentiate everybody just for brevity. That's what we're doing right now. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so uh, there was larger tribes that teamed up with the Spanish and were like, all right, yeah, you clearly have some access to some tools. Mm-hmm. Hook it up. We'll help you out. You can have all the gold. <laughs> we don't care about gold. We hate these people. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There was wars. We fought each other. But it, it is different. You know? Yeah. It was because if you look at it, the Mexicans did become sort of an empire. They were getting tributaries and stuff from people. Mm-hmm. It was very, d- and the tributaries were with sacrifices, people, you know. Yeah. So it's like as soon as you start becoming a capitalist with people, it's a little weird, you know. And yeah. I think that's a testament to what happens with empire, you know, or or just like making a kingdom, but like. And anybody can do it. It's just what happens. So it's like something as leftist we should be aware of. You know, I think, yeah. you know, yeah. they begin to abuse rights. That's something as a indigenous person. Yeah, I don't like states. I got to be real with you. I really yeah, do. No, same. I recognize there's a necessity for one in a transitional state. That's why I identify mm-hmm. as a Marxist-Leninist. But I believe our vanguard party, if we go the Marxist-Leninist route, should be led by indigenous people and focus on decolonization here like when yeah. we're talking about the american scenario absolutely um so in the fort laramie treaty there's 17 articles and i have a huge huge <laughs> we're gonna go over it uh, i read it myself i did a synopsis and we're gonna try to make it brief let's see how yep. it goes so, as brief as possible. <laughs> from this day forward, all war between the parties to this agreement shall forever cease. It didn't. 
Uh, the government of the United States desires peace. It didn't. And its honor is hereby pledged to keep it. It didn't. The Indians desire peace. We did. And they now pledge their honor to maintain it. We tried. Yeah, we tried. We as the U.S. Left... had other plans. Yeah. We, we know how much the honor of the U.S. is worth. And in yes. hindsight, the rest of the articles don't matter. It's BS. Everything from Hey Forth yeah. is pretty BS, obviously. But we need to know what it says because this would be literally the foundations of where the radical movement started. Mm-hmm. That's Alcatraz, you know. And so uh, Article 1 establishes a peace and agrees to punish any bad men who would do harm to the indigenous people, even though they would still go on. I think it's like 19, sometimes in the 1900s that they... Uh, Stop paying for the scalps of indigenous yeah. people. Like, like I think <laughs> I remember seeing a little pamphlet type thing from that time that said, like, a child's scalp is worth $5 or something. Yeah, it's, like, it's late longer? 1800s, possibly into the 1900s. Yeah. We'll get an exact quote on it in another episode. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, uh, and that, oh, already off to a depressing start. But that Article 2 would establish the boundaries of the Great Sioux Reservation. And it would be like the size of, uh, what is it, Washington? Not Washington, uh, Montana. It'd be like the size of Montana. A big old reservation in the middle of the country uh, until, for some reason, they wanted the Dakotas. We'll get to that. I know the reason. (laughs) Same. (laughs) So anyway... Uh, and so basically it says that nobody has permission to go over the land besides federal agents, and, mm-hmm. but everybody else has to have the, uh, the permission of the chiefs and of the people. Yeah. Uh, the Article 3 would establish the land set aside for the tribe to use, like for farmers. Uh, and then Article 4 would uh, designate uh, that the U.S. would build a variety of different buildings like schools, a blacksmith, uh, and then... Uh, various public works buildings as well as a place for a white federal officer to live and Mm -hmm. had to live amongst them. Uh, The exact article uh, that uh, does this is Articles 5 through 10, which establishes the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which are not the good guys. It's like RCIA. (laughs) It's BIA. It's it's first. It's first. BIA, CIA. It's even alphabetical. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's as easy as ABCs. Uh, <laughs> the United, the United States. Well, see, that's how you should know where to structure it. You go, yeah. oh, decolonization, then anti-imperialism. Because yes. it's one and the same, but there is a priority. Yes. If you're in a settler colonial state, focus on your own country first. Yeah. Don't go don't go critiquing some other country. It's kind of a thing to do with cultural relativism. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) Respecting other cultures and understanding that you as an imperial power, speaking of the US currently, cannot respectfully go into another country to try to quote unquote fix it. You can support the fixing inside of the country, but you cannot do it yourself. Well, exactly. And so then, then we get into the question of like the white proletariat going, 
oh, well, what about us who want revolution here? You know, mm-hmm. it's our country too. It's like, actually, it's not your country. Yeah. It's not. You're a, you're technically a myth. You know, yeah. and that's to quote Jay Sakai on Settlers. And if you haven't read it, read it before you go knocking it. All right. <laughs> but the point is, is that from the very beginning, regular people have been used to perpetuate settler colonialism, especially mm-hmm. in the expansion West. Especially, you were the main engine. Nobody's ancestor is free from slavery, from genocide. Any white persons, they're gen- they're it's one of their ancestors, especially the ancestor who yes. has one sixteenth Cherokee. Guess what? Great <laughs> great granddad raped a Cherokee woman. That's what probably happened. Yes, and that's horrible. You know, and sorry to get intense this early. But. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of the truth of the matter. It's the it's, truth if, of the matter, exactly. If you claim that you are 116th Cherokee or something and don't have any direct, any recent ties to the culture and don't, just aren't involved with it. Don't go into you, a powwow yeah. and go, hey, I'm an Indian. What's yeah, up? because it's probably, it's more than likely that Somewhere down the line, a native woman was assaulted. Probably what happened was she was taken. She was probably forced yeah. to be a wife. Something along those lines. You know. It's, and it's a really harsh reality to think about in your family line. But that's it's like as a settler, it's something that you have to tackle because. And I really want to bring this up because like. A lot of people are only recently hearing how, oh, their ancestors were were involved with slavery. Mm-hmm. They, they did have slaves. Like my, uh, on one side of my family, our last name's Dubois. Yeah. Like on one of the maidens, you know. And so it's just like, oh, W-E-B Dubois. Huh. Yeah. I wonder where that, huh. You know, and I trace it from the exact same location. He happened to be a slave. You know, it's like. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's that's a bad look, you know? And so, like, even as an indigenous person who's half white, I have to acknowledge these dialectical things, you know? It's like I can either perpetuate settler colonialism or I can reconnect and decolonize. I have a choice. That's what I'm trying to do, too, because I am very, very white-passing. Well, exactly. And so but, being like, like the North is like terrible. But like I, my great grandma was the last fluent Lakota speaker and my dad grew up on res and stuff. So I have that like immediate connection to the culture and I grew up with a little bit of it. Exactly. My grandma's a hundred percent. My mom's uh, a little bit less than a hundred percent because her dad mm-hmm. was like 80%. And so then I'm a little bit under 50%. Yeah. And then I live in a super winter zone, and so <laughs> I don't get any sunlight. And then also I'm like a hermit, so I don't get any sunlight. But, like, after Same. my vacation, I'm red. <laughs> I'm red. <laughs> and, like, it's not burnt. I'm just, hey, I'm showing. Yeah. You know? Now not and only does my nose, eyebrows, and cheekbones say it, now my skin color says it. Yeah. And my dad has been working in construction for over 20 years, almost I can 30 imagine. now. Uh, <laughs> Hasapa. <laughs> <laughs> and he has tanned over that time, and I he bet. looks red. 
as in like a native he's dude. Brown. <laughs> yeah. He's not even red anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh so but, <laughs> anyway, like, so <laughs> I look a lot like him too. <laughs> okay, so you should Anyways. my grandma look my grandma looks like leather and I'm like who who That's how my my dad's skin is textured now. It's like oh, leather. Yeah. And then, like, the, once the cracks come in, you start looking like the six grandfathers. That's mm. Anyway, so anyway, we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, the United States hereby agrees that an agent for said Indian shall live in the future, make his home at the agency building, that he shall reside among them, and keep an office open at all times for the purpose for investigation under the provisions of their treaty stipulations. Uh, as also for the faithful discharge of other duties enjoyed on him by law. In all cases of depredation on person or property, he shall cause the evidence to be taken in writing and forwarded together with his findings to the Commissioner of Indian Affairs, whose decision subject to the revision of Secretary of the Interior shall be binding on the parties to this treaty, Article 5 of the Fort Laramie Treaty. So, this agency, as we said before, is the BIA. Yes. And it placed all responsibility for the resolutions concerns raised on a settler who lived among the people. And remember, this is a huge reservation. Yes. One guy. They I had, can't I cannot imagine the bias either. Oh my god. Oh well, well <laughs> the AIM protests are primarily over the BIA doing nothing. The BIA is yes. supposed to it, they're supposed to step in when corruption happens, but you know when mm-hmm. corruption happens, it starts flowing to the white guy too. I think like now there's like you know entrepreneurship going on on the reservation and mm-hmm. they're trying to bring in business, but at that point you know we're literally just caving in to what the white man wants us to do once again. Yeah, and it's it's like that's we I get we need to do the survival of our people, but we're all supposed to be protectors of the land. Yeah, and participating in capitalism is not being protecting of the land. It's just not, you know? Mm-hmm. And so uh, these these uh, terms were negotiated, sort of, you know, negotiated very loosely yes. with <laughs> Red Cloud and Sitting Bull, you know? But they went to the United States Army who had a bunch of guns mm-hmm. to negotiate. All I'm saying is when Which... Japan started trading with the U.S., they negotiated too. Sailed a bunch of gunboats in. Like we negotiated, like the not we as it. So, oh my goodness, see, I hate settler colonialism. <laughs> yeah. So the United States is terrible at negotiating. So we use a lot of big weapons. That's what we did mm-hmm. to Japan. Not really to Japan. It was more against the USSR that we bombed Japan, and we we're like, hey, look what we can do to you. You know, and for yeah. more details on that, go to Pearls of the Round Table. Oh, shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but they have we great are... episodes. <laughs> yes, but there's a lot of history there, and for a more context into this, a little more, like a lot of the ideas we've already raised. There's another episode, I believe it's episode 22 on indigeneity. Uh, Andrea Lakota, who is another oh. Lakota cousin, Oglala, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a lot of Lakota leftist friends. It's great. <laughs> They're in for a ride. So, uh, yes. article, but anyway, so uh, oh, I don't remember where I was going with that last point, but we'll drop it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so, Article 6 established the ability of heads of family which 
or man to mm-hmm. commence and settler farming practices with the blessing of the BIA agent. And the land would be recorded in the land book. What a creative name. Uh, and there would be a whole homesteading clause for males over 18. It sounds pretty libertarian, huh? But it, <laughs> but it is heavily stipulated and always subjugated to rearrangement by Congress without anybody's approval. Yes. And it <laughs> and, sounds somewhat similar to the Dawes Act, which is kind of well, hmm, well, like see, an this, earlier version. Well, speaking of the Dawes Act, uh, Article 7 forces parents to put their children age 6 to 16 into the BIA school. Oh, <laughs> this yeah. This is where it began. <laughs> yes. So Testing. Yeah. Oh, one my would say. Oh, what a oh, cringe. Anyway, so <laughs> so Article 8 says, When the head of family or lodge shall have a selected lands and receives his certificate as above directed, and the agent shall be satisfied that he intends in good faith to commence in cultivating the soil for living, he shall be entitled to receive seeds and agricultural implements for the first year, not exceeding in value $100. And for each succeeding year, he shall continue to farm for a period of three years more. He shall be entitled to receive seeds and implements as for, as aforesaid, and not ex- exceeding in value twenty five dollars. And it is further stipulated that such person as that commences in farming shall receive instruction from the farmer herein provided for, and wherever, whenever more than one hundred persons shall enter upon the cultivation of the soil, a second blacksmith shall be provided with such iron, steel, and other material as may be needed. So. That sounds pretty good. Uh, I mm-hmm. mean, it sounds like we're getting a lot of help, right? Yeah. It, a lot of good faith going on here. But, but, <laughs> Article 9 establishes that all, <laughs> that all previously mentioned government buildings, like the blacksmith, seeds, and all that, can be withdrawn after 10 years with a payment. Yep. <laughs> That's a fair payment, whatever that means. And who would have guessed that that happened? Article 10 then establishes the alternative methods of payment rather than money. And so now, remember how they were talking about seeds and stuff? Yeah. We'll just give them a large amount of seeds, maybe some good sets of clothes. We'll give their kids schooling, you know? Mm -hmm. These became the alternate forms of payment. So we never got payment. We got yeah. our culture destroyed and trampled on furthermore. Uh, my favorite quote is from Sitting Bull. And he says, the white man likes to well, dig in the ground for his food. We prefer to hunt the buffalo. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. It's that cultural difference. That yeah. You've been farming for millennia. We've been hunting buffalo for millennia. Look how many yeah. buffalo there are. It's not until white people go and genocide the buffalo to try to genocide us that... Oh, and we don't also, have as much. Yeah, we don't have millions of buffalo roaming the Great Plains. You know, the reason why the Great Plains were so huge, so fertile and stuff, was because millions of buffalo were taking mm-hmm. shits there every yeah. day. That's, that's and it, man. they would help cultivate and groom. Yeah, there would be mass birdings. There would be mass birdings. There's a, I can't think of the nation right now, but some mm-hmm. cousins in the Southwest have the firebird dance. Yeah. And it's about how birds will grab fire and throw it onto brush and stuff. To, yeah. It drives out animals for them to capture, as well as helps cultivate the earth. You know, you hear uh, Donald Trump say, oh, it's because they're not brushing the forest. 
Well, that's essentially what he means. You know, mm-hmm. there's not regular forest fires like there once were that are cleaning it up. Yeah. And now when we have massive fire wildfires, it's either we fight them or we we fight them and stop the natural cycle mm-hmm. or we have to let our houses burn and then rebuild, you know? And so which one's more cost effective? Yeah. Stopping nature, rebuilding. Well, it's stopping nature. That's why they want to build seawalls to stop the water rising. You know, yeah. it's idiotic. It uh. doesn't, it also kind of just does interrupt the natural flow of things. Well, and so that natural flow we call the, the sacred hoop. Yeah. And so uh, uh, there's a great prophecy by Black Elk where he talks about the great hoop being broken. And mm. essentially what that's talking about is that the flow of nature is being broken. And it happens very recently. And yeah. all I'm saying is capitalism is very recent. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty obvious. Little connection to me. Hmm. I mean, and this is like a whole prophecy <laughs> thing, and I know a lot of settlers yeah. are gonna raise an eyebrow, but it we we have a story, and yes. we're gonna go into it, and you're gonna see some things that we see, and, and we're gonna try to. These, sorry, go on. Um, some of these prophecies have been really accurate. Well, yeah, it, it's so crazy. Like it's terrifying how accurate some of them are and yeah. we have a like there's a saying even in black elk uh, it's a very common saying that mm-hmm. we don't know if this is how it happened but if you think about it it makes sense yeah it's <laughs> that's that's it <laughs> these prophecies if you think about them they make sense who knows if that's how it's going to happen but when yeah. it happens you'll think about it and you go huh holy shit oh <laughs> This makes sense. <laughs> you know, and it's like hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, yeah, hindsight's yeah. twenty twenty, and there was a prophecy, and wow, that makes sense now. And and we also have a bit of foresight. Yeah, I, and so yeah, like I say, that's because we have an extreme connection with yeah. an, our ancestors, the energy that flows throughout the universe. And there's going to be a whole crossover with the Minions, who's another USSP. Mm podcast yeah i'm I'm gonna go on there and we're gonna be talking about a book that actually talks about the relations of shamanic judaism and Mm -hmm. compared to uh indigenous cultures and so it's coming from a lakota perspective i can't wait to read that book it's actually on its way right now so (laughs) that should be coming up it's i'm probably gonna upload it here on this feed as well as it's gonna be on their feed i assume but Mm -hmm. um there'll be a little cross-pollinating there (laughs) (laughs) Um, but like, there's a very specific reason why all of these contracts and treaties specify mm-hmm. so specifically males. It's so they could already limit the amount of Indians entitled to benefits. Yeah. Then you have the idea of quantum quarter that comes along and it specifies even further. And so now we have to have this whole discussion about 116th Cherokee. Yes. And it's. I don't know. I'm pretty annoyed that it ever happened. <laughs> but, you yeah. know, it happens. We have to deal with it now. So we're having this conversation. Yeah. And, you know, also, don't take our opinions as absolute facts. Mm-hmm. You know, these are our opinions through our own decolonization struggle. And I'm sure reserva- like reservation Indians compared to urban Indians are two totally different classes. Yeah, absolutely. Two totally different. I'm not going to speak for the reservation. I'll let them come speak on here. But I will speak 
when I'm the only voice available. But, you know, these aren't the only places where sovereignty and, like, decision-making stops. There's about mm-hmm. seven more stipulations predicated on this idea. And one is uh, there's advantages and benefits co- uh, conferred by this treaty and the many pledges of the friendship of the United States. The tribes who are parties to this agreement hereby stipulate that they will not rel- that they will relinquish all rights to occupy permanently the territory outside the reservation. So... Th- they literally have to give up everything else. Yeah. Okay. The seven articles would include stipulations requiring them to stop uh, the opposition of railroads. Uh, they w- would have to let them peacefully construct them, of course. Uh, they mm-hmm. wouldn't molest settlers who were living near them, who were building settlements near these railroads. They would continue to specify, saying in sections four and five of Article 9, that fourth, they will... Never capture or carry off from the settlements white women or children. <laughs> Didn't happen. Anyway, <laughs> they will never kill or scalp white men. That happened a lot. Anyway, nor attempt yes. to do them harm. Then section six and seven nullifies the opposition to current construction projects and defines sovereign territory. Then in article uh, 12, it establishes that three quarters of the males of a specific nation must agree for any changes to occur to treaties. Uh, so... Yeah. Now you have to get everybody involved in this on the same page, and they're going to start dividing the territory and preventing us from contacting one another. You know, like this is all setting yeah. up a very easy way to dismantle any sovereignty. And you can yeah. hardly call us sovereign. I remember my white dad going, Oh, hey, but you guys, the Lakota are a sovereign nation. And I was like, he, Sovereign? It's like saying the states are sovereign. You know, (laughs) the states already aren't sovereign. Imagine a reservation within a state, you know. Mm -hmm. So anyway, Article 13 establishes that the U.S. will pay for uh, the government agents and is subject to change by the Secretary of the Interior. Uh, Article 14 establishes that $500 will be paid to the 10 best farmers on the reservation. So now you've forced capitalist competition. Yeah. You've inserted a boss farmer mechanic. You've inserted uh, dependency on the government for seeds. Yeah. Uh, you make them farm how you will farm, how white people farm. And then you go, oh, yeah, and which, whichever one of you does the best, we'll give some money to. Yeah. <laughs> like, it completely upends the sort of foundational culture of a tribe. Well, exactly. we didn't live like that. No, we hunted the buffalo. And because they didn't want to build a raised railroad mm-hmm. to let the buffalo pass through, we, we couldn't do it. Yeah. That's it. That's the whole reason. They didn't want to pay the extra money to raise the railroad, to raise roads, mm-hmm. to put nature passes over roads, even. Yeah. Like, there's a million ways to reduce the amount of deer getting hit by cars. And that's by making a way for deer to get across the road. Yeah. They're, kind of. they need consideration, too. We have crosswalks yeah. and traffic lights, so we don't hit one another. What should we do about the deer? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Do the same thing. Give them the same acknowledgement. Well, I, it uh, reminds while I was living in Detroit, I was dr- driving and on one of the overpass like crosswalks, I saw a deer using it. <laughs> I was like, huh, oh, 
in Detroit? <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> it was in like, learning. Yeah, it was like in the suburbs, but still, you know. Yeah. Um. So the United States hereby agrees and stipulates that the country north of the Platte River and the east of the summits of the Bighorn Mountains shall be held and considered to be unceded Indian territory and also stipulates and agrees that no white person or person shall be permitted to settle upon or occupy any portion of the same or without the consent of the Indians first had and obtained to pass through the same and is further agreed by the United States that within 90 days of the conclusion of peace with all the bands of the Sioux Nation, the military post now established in the territory in this article named shall be abandoned and that the road leading to them and by them to the settlements in the territory of Montana shall be closed. Whew, that's a mouthful. Anyway. That's a run-on sentence. Yeah. So... First off, they're only clearing out the territory of Montana. Mm-hmm. The reservation includes lots of uh, South, well, lots of the Dakotas, uh, yeah. part of Minnesota. Like, it's a huge reservation. We'll put a map up of, like, all of it. Uh, different maps where it's going to be an yeah. evolution. I know that map. there's one website where you can, like, select different filters. Depending on the year and stuff. Yeah, we'll link that yeah. website and then we'll also post some easier just. Ooh, click on this image because we're also going to have some other stuff and we'll probably like put them on Twitter and stuff too. Yeah. Um, where were we? <laughs> <laughs> so except the government agents, of course, uh, you know, they like the buildings that they have, mm-hmm. in there, they wouldn't get removed. Those get to stay. They yeah. have to stay. Remember? Um, and the fact that there's so many exceptions, and there's so many different strong arm nature, like different strong arm agreements made in this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's clear to see that, uh, especially with Article Twelve, which assures that aid will only be given to the tribes that sign the treaty. You know, th- they yeah. are literally saying, "You are going to go into peace. We are going to kill you. Nobody is going to help you, or we're going to kill them too." Yeah. And just after years and years of war and stuff. Of course, Sitting Bull and the associated leadership of the Sioux Wars, you know, uh, of course they're going to agree to it. Of course. The Battle of Little Bighorn is one of the most depicted Euro-American stories of the Custer's last stand. Oh, God. It was Custer Custer versus the savage bands of Sitting Bull. Custer got sued. Plain and simple. <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking, I was like, wait, is there like an ancestor of Custer who got sued by the by our tribe? No, 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 no. He got sued. <laughs> That's my favorite joke, honestly. I, I've never heard it, to be honest. That's good. <laughs> but uh I, I wanted to focus a little bit on Sitting Bull just because, you know, we were talking about, like, the leaders and the spiritual mm-hmm. leaders and stuff. You know, this is, you know, think of it the anarchist perspective of, like, leadership where it's just, like, if you're popular yeah. by nature. It's called social capital. That's sort yeah. of, sort of loosely. There was also visions involved and you had to prove yourself to be strong. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of more to it, but a big part of it was social capital. You know, did you fit the ideal uh, setting of your society? And in our case, it was all these other aspects that are, yeah. let's admit it, more important. 
Yeah. So, uh, Tatanka Yotake, or Sitting Bull, you know, um, he he has a lot of great words. And I, yeah. we want to do some quotes, and there's already been quotes from elders, but we want to do more historical quotes and more like stories and stuff like that. So I think putting in some leftist, sitting bullist, you know, it's almost <laughs> as if it's its own political tendency. Yeah. Uh, which Andrea Lakota, <laughs> another shout out there, identifies as a Marxist sitting bullist, and I love it. I kind of want to, <laughs> and I can. <laughs> but I don't know. I want to talk to them about it a little more. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the love of possessions is a disease in them. These people have made many rules that the rich may break, but the poor may not. They have a religion in which the poor worship, but the rich will not. They even take tithes from the poor and weak to support the rich and those who rule. They claim this mother of ours, the earth, for their own use and fence their neighbor away. If America had been twice the size it is, there still would not be enough. And those are from the collected speeches of Sitting Bull. It's about a $100 book. Oh, dang. Yeah. Uh, the white man knows how to make everything, but he does not know how to distribute it. And of course, these are all like paraphrased from what he mm-hmm. actually said, but he did speak some English. So anyway, what trees that the whites have kept that the red man broken? Not one. What treaties that the white man gave to us, they kept. Not one. You know, and I chose these quotes specifically because in its own way, He's he's Karl Marx over here in America. Literally, time yeah. frame wise, same shit. Yeah, same shit. And Literally, he's calling it as it is. Yeah, it's it's that obvious. Capitalism bad. Yeah, you know, and that's foundation. If you are a Lakota, especially, why the fuck are you a capitalist? Like, yeah. I have critique. A lot of people have critiques of Russell Means. I have mm-hmm. the best critique because I knew him personally. <laughs> JK, I mean, I was a kid, but <laughs> my family knew him. So I can, you know, talk about him a little more uh, in depth. And mm-hmm. like, I know, uh, Alliston, uh, Alliston, Alliston, Alliston from Red Menace uh, had made some comments on the Patreon feed. Actually, speak, so like, I, I bring him up again because we're talking about spiritual successors, successors of this. Mm-hmm. Sitting Bull was the original leader of AIM. If you want to talk about, you know, at least the Lakota portion of it, because you can even go on to uh, Poundmaker. Poundmaker Mm -hmm. was one of the original leaders of AIM. Anybody who resisted colonialism, who is indigenous, who, you know, they are the spirit of AIM. They are the ones who guide us. We honestly believe that their spirit guides us in our political decisions. Mm-hmm. At least if you're adhering to our culture, that's what you believe. You know, that's what we believe. And yeah. like as obvious as it is, you know, you get to ask the question, well, what what is a leader, you know, if these persons don't follow the exact leftist politics of Sitting Bull, you know, mm-hmm. what are these people doing? And it's like not necessarily it's not it's there's no sectarianism in indigenous circles. It's yeah. nationalism. And even then it's cooled down a lot. Like I, 
when I was younger, one of my first memories is my grandma cut a Navajo over an argument which tribe was better, basically. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. It gets intense. I know some stories of, like, some intense nationalism. Well, exactly. My, my dad has a bit of that, mostly because he grew up in that era. Oh, yeah, and it's bad, too. It influences him a lot. Well, and, it, like, so, like, it's definitely, post-AIM, it gets really reactionary. Because mm-hmm. you have this huge revolutionary thing, the reactionary element comes in. And we're kind of, we're kind of to the point that we got, we're on to a new revolutionary movement, you know? Yeah. And so we, we believe that everything from the time Black Elk made his prophecy, mm-hmm. we believe that from that point forward, Everything that happens is supposed to happen in a certain way to where the seventh generation, after settlement began, well, I don't know the exact time frame when the generations mm-hmm. begin. It's a little, because it's like, what is a generation? And yeah. well, even white people can agree on that. <laughs> but most people would say we're probably in the seventh generation. Yeah. And, and the prophecy you can goes. feel it. So. The, the prophecy goes is that he saw the animals withering away. He saw his people starving in the fields. He saw the grass dying. And then after uh, the sign appeared and after he was given the bow to destroy or to bring life, he brought life to his people. And they became their spirit animals and began rejoicing and replenishing and earth began anew. And so, I mean, I interpret it as climate change is happening. And when a revolution occurs... Because it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. If it's a good revolution, if it actually adheres to leftist politics, you know, good leftist politics, the national yeah. liberation of our people will return the land to our people and it will become good again. Yeah. You know? That's my goal. Um, you can feel that sort of almost vibrating for change within our communities. Well, exactly. Oh, my goodness. It's... Oh. It's such a, it's a, it's, oh, I don't even know how it's to describe like it. It's like hovering. It's a warmness. Us. It's a warmness almost. Like, like yeah. whenever you're like praying and stuff, I don't know if you get this feeling when you're praying and it, stuff, but whenever I'm praying, I get like this warmness about me and like mm. I get excited. I like, especially when I I've, read about our culture, when I like hear the words, like it's yeah. just like listening to the chants. Like, I hope you guys liked our intro. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, the chants are just so beautiful in their own way. Like, you know, most people hear it and they think of, you know, a joke. You yeah. Know, but it, the joke exists for a reason. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, Take all the racist and, things you know about us and come along. Some of it's kind of true. <laughs> yeah. When, when I pray and when I think about this type of stuff, it feels to me almost as if there are roots from my feet going down into earth. I, yeah, I like to wear no shoes when I pray. Mm. <laughs> I like to make sure I can be as like close to you know the mother yeah. as possible. E- even, even if I'm praying up in a plane because of bad turbulence, I still get the feeling that like there are roots connecting me down here. That's great. Oh, I've never prayed in a plane. <laughs> I have before, I don't like, and I don't, I don't like, like the circumstances of it. 
Um, so, I mean, we're, we'll go into Dennis Banks, Russell Means, and the brothers that founded AIM uh, later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, I want to kind of give each of them their own episode because I doubt anybody even knows anything about I doubt any of the white <laughs> people listening knows anything about these people. The indigenous people, yeah. what up? High five. <laughs> but everybody else I feel like is pretty clueless. <laughs> but we'll return to them later. Uh, but we want to go over some more recent, more recent, like more, more recent. Would that be the way to say it? So it's recent, but it's more, more history. More recent. <laughs> We're going to go over the Indian termination policies directed by a friend of the show, the Eisenhower administration. That's not totally true, though, because <laughs> it started before the Eisenhower. Just, uh, Eisenhower says some particularly bad things. Yeah. And so we're going to go over them. We're going to go over a lot of quotes from presidents. Not as many as I have in the notes. They're great, though. Um, (laughs) The policies we're talking about, the termination policies, which, you know, the Dawes Act would probably be Mm -hmm. a part of it if you want to go with that. The Dawes Act. I think. I think so. Yeah, I think okay. I would say it's part of the Indian termination policies as well. But Indian termination policies are a specific type of termination mm-hmm. policy. Like, there's a termination policy of the Indian termination policies. But it, yeah. broadly speaking, there's, like, the Dawes Act. There's, like, the Indian Reorganization Act. There's the Indian Termination Acts. There's the Ranchero Acts. There's a mm-hmm. bunch of acts. And they're all oversaw by the federal government thanks to that last treaty we just saw. Which... yeah. Before the, it was under the jurisdiction of the interior, it was under the jurisdiction of the Department of War, which they just did a name change. <laughs> Yeet. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that telling of what was going to happen? Right, yeah. Uh, so basically it's assimilation. It's aggressive assimilation. Yeah. Um, and it's an Forced act. assimilation. Today, much. it is an act of genocide. Today, yes. we want, we're not using that word lightly. <laughs> because the erasure of culture is still happening. And, and there was a population decrease, but it's on the rise. Yes. You can't stop us. And, <laughs> uh, and so I, I don't want to, you know, s- you sound like I'm dissing on abolitionists or like, you know, just black left liber- liberation. Uh, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of anti-blackness that goes on in these circles because you go, well, it's my country, you know? And it's like, well, where do black people fall there? They were taken from Africa. Yeah, they're displaced indigenous people. Well, exactly. They're indigenous to Africa, but they're here. They were forced here. They were taken from their motherlands, and none of them know where they're from, so they've been forced Mm -hmm. to become their own thing here. And I think, you know, just the way we were taught how to live amongst one another i think it's perfect to say that there's no reason there shouldn't be like an autonomous zone there shouldn't be some precedence for black people to have a say in what goes on in decolonization because it's the same struggle same with the latinx but even then you know now that's american latinx but if you go to like mexico then you get into the question of well what's latinx and what's like white gasano you know that was yeah you know like dialectics is a bitch (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of nuance. A lot of to nuance. These, 
You hear that so much. You hear that so much, but it's so true. Yeah. There's so much nuance. And it's just like, that's a can of worms. I'm not yeah. going to talk about the black question because I'm not black. And we're going to get yeah. a black person on here and, hey, let's talk about it. You know, and they might know let's more about themselves. Be respectful. Yeah. It. Yeah, exactly. They might know more about themselves than other black people, like, say, Obama or something. But even then, yeah. Like, I don't know how true the birther statements are that his dads are from Kenya, but hey, he knows a lot more than say my friend. So my friend Darius, uh, he he doesn't know anything. He he knows he's from Detroit. That's yeah. what he knows. He, he moves. He lives in the Upper Peninsula. That's uh, yeah. He's one of the very <laughs> few black people here. You know, it's a very white place, and the only <laughs> other people are indigenous people, and you see them stick to their own. Yeah. It's that simple. <laughs> like, you don't want to deal with racism. Don't talk to the white people. You know, and <laughs> I think it's, you know, speaking of just fitting things, you know, when I say genocide, it's like Hitler and Mussolini modeled their policies, like Liebensraum, yeah. off the Manifest Destiny, the off American yeah. government. You know, America is proto-fascism. It's literally yeah. would be the founding of fascism. And, um, you know, we, we can go into a lot of detail about Mein Kampf and stuff like that. Mm. But I think we all get the idea that it's the idea of forever expanding a certain direction, whatever you view is uh, the way God sends you. Yeah. And so, like, here's the one quote from Mein Kampf I'm going to say. We're quoting Hitler here. This is a sode. <laughs> so, and so we national socialists, conscious, we Nazis, consciously draw a line between the foreign policy tendency of our pre-war period. We take up where we broke off 600 years ago. We stop the endless German movement to the south and west and turn our gaze toward the land in the east. At long last, the break off in the colonial and commercial policy of pre-war period and shift to the soil policy of the future. Yeah. You go to the manifest destiny, which is, it is God's will that for the next mm-hmm. 500 years, we, we will need, move west. We will move west. That's why the revolution started. Despite popular mm-hmm. belief, it wasn't over tea. It was part of it, but it was because yeah. they couldn't, they were about to take away slaves. They were about to, well, they weren't letting them move west. And yeah. Then they started taxing them. That's you're messing with it's all like, the, the all the money white people have. You're messing with it. Yeah, want. you know when the British it's turn out to much, be the good guys in the revolution. Yeah. Oof. It turned out to pretty much be a big old temper tantrum. Literally, it was a bourgeois revolution. It's just that <laughs> it's not some revolution. They weren't the common men. They were rich slave owners. You hear it a yeah. lot. The, Expand on that that little more. Realize that the United States and being a proud American means you're a proud white supremacist. Yep. That's what that means. When Columbus arrived, he thought he was India. And even if he was, the Wasichu would still claim the land was theirs. Yeah. You know, that is the very premise of the United States. And it's the very premise of German Nazi Germany. You know, mm-hmm. the Slavs are the lessers. In fact, Slavic people were the slaves until they're like, hey, Africans are cheaper to ship over here. 
Yeah. Which is wild. Like, yeah. Like, first shipments of, like, black people over here was, like, 12 years after the first colony or something like that. Mm-hmm. I would have to look up exact dates again. Don't call me. But <laughs> it's pretty it's bad. a lot of messed up stuff. Yeah, it's really, 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 really messed up. And then, like, Canada's no better, you know? Yeah. And so then... Des- you, despite just, touting itself as a liberal haven. Right. And so, like, like, there's the question is, like, if the United States thinks it needs to expand, well, why didn't it move north after declaring yeah. independence? You know, they already hated the British. It's because they didn't actually care that the British were there. They just yeah. cared about who was getting the money. Where's the money going? And then you also have French coming into Canada, which caused a whole the other French thing. and Indian War, or you know, there's a million Seven Years War. There's a billion names for it. God. We'll go into it because <laughs> there's the Iroquois Federation. We can go into there's you know specifically the Mohawks. So specifically much. The Iroquois, like, oh, there's so much history. There's so much to go yeah. over. You know, and we, it's like, and then you can even go. Okay, well, what about you know, Latinx people that yeah. want to use us as a platform. What about, you know, black people that want to use us as a platform? What about Palestinians? You know, whoever is a colonized person that wants to use us as a platform. There yeah. are so many things we can go over and we want to, you know. Yeah. And we're going we to. We already <sighs> have such an expansive list of episode ideas. So, um <laughs> Those are, like, there's so many uh, things, and it's just examples of programs, which I use specifically to draw the mm-hmm. relation to the Jewish programs. Okay, and uh, to quote Talia from the Minions, uh, it's just further evidence that uh, our struggles are united. And yeah. I think that's 100% true, that, you know, when you're thinking about these things, there's one thing running through all of these struggles it's capitalism that's the problem Mm -hmm. and so it's we need to focus on these things we need to acknowledge these things happen are happening still and we need to focus our revolution on that we need to go hey we should probably pay attention so we're not being white supremacists because there's this whole thing where russell means supported the contrast And it's like, well, why did, why would he do that? You know, the countries yeah. are obviously bad. Well, the answer is that the Zapatistas started taking the indigenous land too because they're trying to collectivize all the land. Mm-hmm. So did you not just start becoming a socialist settler state? You know, <laughs> not to be like playing on social imperialism, but it's true. If you're just yeah. going in and murdering the indigenous people, you are no better than the colonizers. You are a colonizer. You are not mm-hmm. a leftist. You are a reactionary who wants what's best for white people. You you are white supremacists. That's what it is. Um, And that goes into a lot of, like, internalized racism and... Well, it's like... like You can look at, like, uh, who is it? I think it's Ben Franklin. uh, Mm -hmm. Like, before they're even a country, is like, we need less immigrants. You know, (laughs) you got George Washington who says the immediate objectives are the total destruction and devastation of their settlements and the capture of as many prisoners of every age and sex as possible. It will be essential to ruin their crops in the ground and prevent their prevent them from planting more. That's George Washington about uh, 
I can't think of the specific yeah. tribe at that time. There's a lot of them that they were talking about. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, pretty bad. Everybody knows that. Uh, yeah. If ever we are constrained to lift the uh, hatchet against any tribe, we will never lay it down till that tribe is exterminated or driven beyond the Mississippian War. They didn't stop there either. They will yep. kill some of us, but we shall destroy them all. That's... Oof. I don't need to say Andrew Jackson's. Yeah. Uh, Lincoln is quoted as saying, uh, the whites cannot live amongst the half-breeds or the Indians, so we, uh, hang them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Largest mash hanging. Uh, yeah. And, uh, Woodrow Wilson said, it's like writing history uh, light, history with lightning. Only My only regret is that it's also true, and that was at, after viewing the birth of nations. It's reported. Freya. Oh. Don't do that. <laughs> one of one of one of the cats. <laughs> anyway, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, and now we're going to go into the Eisenhower quote. Yeah, there has been a vigorous acceleration of health, resource, and education programs designed to advance the role of the American Indian into our society. Hear those words into our society. <laughs> Last fall, for example. of the Indian children between ages of 6 and 18 on reservations were enrolled into boarding schools. This is a rise of 12% since 1953. Jeez. 91% of children were taken from their parents and forced in boarding schools. That's what that means. The other 9% were under the age of 6. So, and a, a very effective attempt to just kind of rub them into the dirt. Yeah, and sort of disarm the culture. Yeah, literally, it was illegal to speak Lakota at these schools. Yeah, that's why my great grandma, um, or not, that's not why, but because of the prejudice in South Dakota. She told my grandpa and his siblings not to speak Lakota anymore because she feared them being brutalized. It was uh, it was just our great grandparents that were yeah. their scalps were being bought uh, for twenty five dollars. And uh, speaking of those scalps, we were talking about in Colorado yeah. is where we know the last baby scalp was bought Jeez. in eighteen sixty seven. So thank God they stopped a little, you know. Whew. Saved us on the baby scalps. Yeah. Oh, it was just barely. Jeez. But it was like considered witchcraft to practice our culture. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't legalized again until until the AIM protests, right? Until my dad was like three. Holy crap. <laughs> but that's because like uh we have like the ghost dance, which is literally yeah. about a revolution returning our land to us. Yeah. And we defy systemic genocide every day as our population's growing in numbers, you know? Yeah. Okay. From nineteen fifty three to nineteen sixty one, Eisenhower the Eisenhower regime resided over Turtle Island and allowed for nationwide assimilation and termination policies specifically to remove the idea of the American Indian from our general intellect. For you non-Marx heads, that's a very obscure Marx quote. Anyway, I shouldn't place all, <laughs> I should have placed all the blame on Eisenhower because Truman 
started. Uh, well, he uh, would appoint Dylan S. Meyer, uh, who mm. would basically be the McCain. You know, he's the bipartisan, yeah. uh, and he would. Uh, he's a very big terminationist. Uh, he believed the U.S. government should stop supporting so many tribes, basically like take away all the money, mm-hmm. and then be- uh, begin to push through like bootstrap ideology. Um, and most people, you know, like there wasn't the question of, oh, is this half white, half Indian person an Indian? Mm-hmm. No, they were Indian and they were put into the pub- the boarding schools too, you know. Yeah. Uh, and they weren't allowed to uh, learn their culture, and this was all by design by the same guy who designed the Japanese internment camps. Yep. Same guy. Woo. <laughs> so anyway, because of the past, the public demanded Eisenhower replace him, and so he did, uh, with a protectionist, which the difference between terminationist and protectionist was the U.S. should slowly commence yeah. genocide. In a sort of no- neglectful way. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like uh, as, as long as you don't, you know, maliciously attack them, neglect mm-hmm. is okay. And it's, you know, you can almost say like, oh, that's sort of the foundation for like neglect in our own society. And, yeah. Yeah, these are just manifestations of the superstructure and stuff like that. And like there's some credit to it and it's kind of Freudian, but mm-hmm. let's be real. The idea, like, uh, I think the like uh, biggest way to like showcase this was uh, Teddy Roosevelt said, and Teddy Roosevelt's sort of like the founder of American imperialism. Yeah, that's why his face is up on Mount Rushmore. You know, <laughs> so uh, on, on the desecrated six grandfathers. Yeah. Oh God, that's a whole nother episode. Jeez. Anyway, oh, true. <laughs> so uh, because of the. So Teddy Roosevelt said, I don't go as far as to say that the only good Indian is a dead one, but I believe nine out of ten are, and I shouldn't like to inquire too closely into the case of the tenth. You know, and so this entire sentiment of being an Indian is a bad, you know. Yeah, this, like, kill the Indian, save the man. Save the white man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, you know, unfortunately, you, now newer immigrants that happen to be people of color too mm-hmm. they're arrivants and they perpetuate settler culture too and so that's a whole nother di- that's a whole nother dialectical question that we'll like to get into is like where does everybody fall here you know yeah and it's a debate it's a debate and a half yeah <laughs> and so like as you guys can tell by how long this episode's gone on it's like we plan to cover a lot more while recording, but we're not going to be able to. Oh, yeah. We're just not. So, like, uh, the next episode, we're going to cover the Indian Termination Acts, which all of this is leading up to and setting up for, and that's why we're mm-hmm. referencing it a lot. And the Indian Termination Acts are what mainly drive the AIM protests. Um, and there's a lot of stuff we can't wait to show you. Yeah, <laughs> I did a whole lot of research. These pa- these notes ended up like twenty pages, so now we know ten pages is pretty good, which I'm mm-hmm. glad is because that's about how long I made the next episode's notes. Uh, but we did 
uh, want to go over a little bit of stuff, like uh, just to get get you an idea, like what we're going to be doing next. Uh, we also wanted to tell you that you can contact us at bandsofturtleisland at gmail dot com. Uh, we'll also have our website posted in, and Twitter in the show notes. Uh, I think it's at bands island. Something yep. Like that. Okay, at bands island at, is our Twitter. Or just look up bands of turtle island. Yeah, bands of turtle island is the name. Uh, feel free to ask questions, make suggestions. Uh, we have a ton of episodes to go over. Yeah. Uh, we want, and then we want we other people have... to come on. Yeah. Uh, just in the works. Uh, did you want to tell them some of the stuff? Um, we have a couple of interviews, correct? Yeah, we have a couple. And well, I don't yep. know about one of them for sure, but it's it, it's with an author. I don't want to spoil yeah. anything until I know for sure, but. Her books on the way and so we're going to read that interview her uh we have an interview with uh some of the crow of people at crow which is uh, mm-hmm. uh oh i can't think of the exact um coalition coalition to re-educate reorganize workers coalition to reorganize yeah. workers uh which they have their own uh podcast that i highly recommend you go check out uh, there's Proles of the Round Table, our mother podcast. There's Proles of the Minion, which is a Jewish tanky. And I do say tanky to warn you. Tanky podcast, but it's, you know, from the Jewish perspective, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Uh, Proles of the Book Club, which is uh, Marxist Leninist analysis of various theory, like Red Menace or uh, Marx Madness. Uh, yeah. There's the Tolerant Left, which is done by Talia from the Minion and Jess from the Book Club. Uh, and then as uh, the soon-to-come European Decommission and Ed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look up how to pronounce this one. It's Latin. <laughs> I asked for the exact pronunciation, so I didn't make a fool of myself, and I'm going to use it. Ad, <laughs> ad winkere mundi. Okay. I don't, I'm so obsessed with saying stuff right. Same. <laughs> like, it, it, if I get... I'm hoping to become a teacher, and... I want to learn students' names correctly. No nicknames, no need for that. Yeah, right. Whatever you want to go by, I'll call you. Yeah. So, but like, uh, adventure. Oh my God! I said it right <laughs> once. That's good enough. It's gonna be about uh, taking back. The first episode is gonna be taking back cult- classic culture, like uh, the Greek myths, Roman stuff, like that, mm-hmm. uh, from the Mediterranean area. Back from the white supremacists, you know, for some reason, they were yeah. like, "Look at these marble statues; they're white. They must be us." No, yeah, Greek people aren't white. Well, now they're considered white, but they weren't for a long, long time. Yeah, that's why Keep we have the whole, we have the whole conversation now about what about the Italian immigrants? Oh, God. What about the Irish immigrants? It's like <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> at one point and no longer at one point yes there was movement to keep immigrants from those nations from coming well, here well that's what I, the ben no franklin quotes happening. about that whole ben it's, franklin quotes about italians and greeks and slavs yeah. it's like come on it's it's no longer happening though because to the u.s right now they look white enough to not be exactly it's the persecuted it's it's the whole like racism isn't defined by you know the skin tone it's not defined Mm -hmm. by anything really besides what society says is that race 
yeah it creates new races as necessary you know and yeah basically it's reactionary race science that's not founded in anything besides hey did you know that uh, because they weren't eating an agricultural diet that Lakotas are more predisposed to getting diabetes. It's like, oh, therefore, they're their own race. Yeah. It's like, that's... And also, <laughs> judging by, like, how much melanin is in the skin. It's like... it. Well, let's measure their skulls. <laughs> that's how racist it's... came to be. It's stupid. <laughs> it's so... It's it's so like, racist. <laughs> yeah, it's also so surface level. Too. Yeah, you just as soon as you talk. Well, how did we come to find out about race? You just think, oh, hey, look at that skin color. But no, the Romans yeah. didn't have an idea of race. They called people by where they came from. Yeah, that's what we did for most of the time until we needed race to divide a working class under capitalism. Mm. So anyway, we'll go into that in another. Episode. <laughs> Actually, uh, our interview with Wakan uh, is going to talk about that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But for now, uh, our next episode is going to be some breaking news over some indigenous issues of other countries besides the United States. Yep. Um, and then we're going to go over some other plans, have a little chat about ourselves, so you all can get to know us a little bit better than you did here. I know there was a lot promised. Not a lot. <laughs> and a lot more is going to be delivered. So we can't wait to bring yes. you these next episodes. Uh, for now, Tokshe, Ake, Wanshi Kean, Wanshi Anki, Kite.